This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Soller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm feeling better than last week. It seems like it jumped through the screen to, to you this week, though, no? Yeah, I thought that the whole working virtually would help me, but clearly your uh, acoustics have translated through the screen and I'm now sick. But maybe it makes me sound better because when you're sick, you sound like an audiobook. So I don't know if that's carrying over to me. I want to mention one thing while I'm looking at the screen here is, uh, you know, the first episode of this season we actually started off talking about my excitement about the detroit lions and oh, they're there they are eight and two that's true best best record in what is it like 60 years that so i know true. it's a hockey podcast but it, it bears mentioning because that is true because we did give you a lot of grief for your detroit lions optimism so you know what you, you have every right to celebrate that one i will say you know, whatever happens, they could lose out and I'd still be ecstatic because these first 10 games have just been so much fun. Enjoy it while you can, I should say. <laughs> so what's been what's been on tap for you with Flow Hockey, with the Fort Wayne Journal Gazette? What have you been working on? Well, right now, getting ready for we're recording this on uh, Wednesday. So I'm getting ready for the Comets annual Thanksgiving game. They okay. always play on Thanksgiving. That is the Bob Chase Memorial game. I don't know if you know who that is, but Bob Chase was the broadcaster for 63 years, one of the most famed broadcasters in hockey history, uh, particularly American hockey, won a, a lot of awards. So big deal in Fort Wayne. They always play here. Uh, not sure my wife always loves it because I can never attend uh, You know all the Thanksgiving goings on. I can't go see my parents. The Lions always play. Uh, so it's always a busy day for me, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm getting ready for right now. Is it an afternoon game or a, uh, no, it is a, it is a night game. And okay. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I am from Michigan. I have transplanted to Indiana where I've been for 27 years. And after 27 years, it feels no less strange to me that in this state, they do Thanksgiving dinner at about 1230. Like everybody here does Midnight? it. No, no, no. They they do lunch. Like Thanksgiving dinner here is lunch. And if you bring that up, people here act like you're the crazy one. Now, where I grew up in Michigan, no, like all day you're cooking, you're watching football. It's right. all building up to Thanksgiving dinner at like six o'clock or whenever you do it. But here and in many other states, they do it at like lunch and it is Still, the strangest thing to me, it feels strange. It will always be strange. So Comets fans pound back a turkey lunch and then go watch hockey. Yes, they they eat all day. They maybe watch some football. Then they go watch hockey at night. Now, one of the more depressing things is if you're a reporter covering that game and maybe you haven't eaten all day. <laughs> right. And then you find, you know, that your Thanksgiving dinner is like, you know, 
a Coliseum hot dog or something like that. That would be depressing. So that's kind of depressing. Uh, but yes, in, in Fort Wayne, and they've done this forever, uh, they play 730 game on Thanksgiving. And uh, it's uh, they also play every year on New Year's. Two very different vibes. Like it feels like on Thanksgiving, everybody's got food coma. Uh, and New Year's Eve is totally different. Like the house is just mobbed. Everybody's energized. Uh, but they've been doing these games forever here. So we'd be remiss not to start our ECHL show without the viral video that went about uh, a game between the Toledo Walleye and the, who do they play again? Kalamazoo Wings. Kalamazoo Wings, who we'll get to later on the show. Let's pull the video up. Basically, Toledo forgot. Actually, Justin, let, let's let you explain it. <laughs> so this game is at Toledo. And the wings, and th- there's there's a couple things that happened. First of all, they got into a automobile accident on the way to the game on I-94. So the game started like a half hour late. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with what happened with the uniforms, which was they left them back in Kalamazoo. And they are... Uh, you know, two hours and 15 minutes apart, thereabouts. Um, so they had to play the first period of the game, Kalamazoo did, wearing Toledo's practice jerseys. So it was literally the Toledo Walleye versus the, the Toledo Walleye. Thoughts <laughs> and, and then, prayers to the scorekeepers that had to do that logging of the mixed numbers from the first period. Yes, yes. So um, so that's the video, which which Connor can bring up now. Let's pull it up now. The auctioned off following the game tonight, but Kalamazoo uh, ended up not having their jerseys with them on the buzz. Somehow, it's the, you know, it happens. Yeah, this, and, is, uh, it's, uh, this is one that I cannot say I personally have seen before. Technically, now you got the Toledo Walleye practice jerseys, the preseason jerseys that they're wearing. Um, only positive part is if you look at Kalamazoo's roster, they do have a couple former walleye, Eric Bradford, Derek Dashke, uh, Kurt Gosselin, who's not in the lineup tonight, but. Now that's the, uh, the flow hockey feed and that's the Toledo broadcast. So that's Matt Melzack. And I'm not sure who the color commentator was that night, but I did think it was pretty funny that he's like, well, it's at least they've got some former Toledo players there. They're used to wearing a fish on their chest. I love how he's like, well, I can't say I've personally ever seen this one before because you never really do that. That is awesome. Like, I mean, yeah. So, so somebody had to drive the uniforms from Kalamazoo to Toledo. They made it there in time for the second period. Um, Who's you nephew know, the, was bestowed that honor? Like, who do you think got that angry phone call? I, I actually have some guesses, but it's probably whatever salesperson was sitting around. Um, oh you know, maybe you've got an assistant equipment manager who just does home games. Who knows? Um, you know, not the worst drive to have to make. But still funny, nonetheless. Um, you know, mistakes them, happen. You know, yeah, yeah of I, course. Got I mean, I've seen this. I've seen this stuff before. I mean, I've seen things like that before. Um, I mean, first, let me let me tell you what happened the next night, though. So, what do you mean? I saw, well, so I saw. <laughs> I was covering football, and a broadcaster was the one that kind of tipped me off that this was going on in Toledo. So I queued it up, posted the video. And of course, you don't think, you know, I would I would have said something more witty had I known it was going to go totally viral. But it got picked up by every hockey site. And I'm thinking, OK, well, we're done with Jersey snafus for 
for the time being. So then the next night, Fort Wayne is at home and they're playing host to, um, um, I guess it was Wheeling, okay? And Fort Wayne was wearing specialty jerseys. They were wearing, um, how can I explain this? It's called the Black Snakes. There is a, uh, a, the 122nd Fighter Wing is in Fort Wayne. They are named the Black Snakes. Fort okay. Wayne was having a military appreciation weekend. So they wore Black Snakes jerseys. So the problem here was they were kind of like a dark gray. And Wheeling came out wearing black jerseys. And oh, it was very, very difficult. That is my biggest pet peeve as a hockey fan. My biggest. Yes. yes. I mean, it was and the higher up in the arena you got, the more difficult it was to tell which team was which. And I counted at least five times where players passed it to the wrong team. <laughs> now, this was signed off on. I mean, this is not Fort Wayne was the home team, but to my understanding, this was not their issue. This got signed off on by the league who sees the different jerseys and sort of okays it. And it was signed off on by Wheeling, which brought both uniforms. Now, why somebody at some point didn't sort of step in and say, well, you know, this is just ultra confusing for everybody. A few years ago in Fort Wayne, they did something similar happen. They, again, were wearing specialty jerseys. It was Star Wars night. And my recollection was they were wearing Rebel Alliance jerseys, which were on the front, they were kind of like an orange. And on the back, they were close to like a cream, like an oh, off-white. Lovely. And the other team, which was Cincinnati, brought their white jerseys. Because... London. Before the game, you know, they probably only saw pictures of the fronts of the Fort Wayne jerseys. That's fine. So I, I hope I'm not messing this up, but I don't think they brought an alternate color. They just brought their white jerseys. So on that game, it was that was ultra confusing because if Fort Wayne was skating one direction, it was fine. But if they were skating the other, it looked like there were two teams wearing white on the ice. So that made it one period before the official stepped in and said, this is not going to work. We can't tell who's who. And the officials made the home team, Fort Wayne, which was wearing specialty jerseys, which were being auctioned off, by the way, made them change out of those after one period and get into their normal road jerseys, which were a oh, dark yeah. color. Right? Gosh, like that is just so many layers of dysfunction. It, it, this stuff, I mean, oh, you know, I don't want to say only in the ECHL, but sometimes it feels like, like only in the ECHL. Oh, yeah. I mean, have you seen any crazy Jersey things like this in pro sports? No. I mean, I remember, I remember covering like, a, like an AHL game when the Manitoba moose, it's like one of my first times they had like some sort of specialty Jersey and there was, it was like military themed or something along those lines. The, the other teams away jerseys while they were white, the, the color, like, you know, you have a white Jersey and then there's like the secondary colors, I think it was Iowa was like kind of similar. So that like really tripped me up and it was extremely confusing. And I remember there was a lot of turnovers in that game. And I remember just being like, this is just such a headache, but the best Jersey story I have of my very non glamorous hockey career <clears throat> was when I was, I think I want to say I was nine years old or 10 years old. There's, there is 
triple A, double A in in Winnipeg levels, and then there's A one, A two, A three. I was a staple of A three, but one year I made A two, which was like the Stanley Cup for me. And right. in my first game, I remember forgetting to bring my jersey or something. And I think that's when we install, instilled the one parent's bringing every jersey because Stoller can't get his stuff together. And that one game, I wore a jersey of someone, a guy I know, his name is Tanner Mole. He actually ended up playing the WHL. Wearing that jersey, Mole, scored a hat trick. <laughs> Once I got back to Stoller, I never scored a goal again. And the next year's made A3. So I always thought that gave me magical powers. And I always thought I should always wear the Mole jersey. But then midway through that game, I kind of skipped over this part. Technically, like it was, you have to submit your lineup. So they submitted my lineup. So I got an ineligible player penalty right off the hop <laughs> for, for like I had to serve it too. And then I scored a hat trick. So I kind of made up for it. That's my only crazy jersey story, honestly. When I was watching this game last weekend, and I think I tweeted this, like I just kept thinking about when when I used to play pickup hockey, there would always be some joker who would show up with a yellow jersey. Like, you know, because you're, you're doing colors versus white. So there was always somebody, there was always one guy who would show up wearing yellow. And of course he, in his mind, well, it doesn't matter which team I get picked for. Well, yeah, but you're confusing the heck out of everybody, regardless of which team you're on, because everybody's just passing you the puck because, you know, we all stink and it's pickup hockey. (laughs) So (laughs) that's what I was thinking about when they were, when they were passing it to the wrong guys in Fort Wayne the other day. So before we get to uh, the segments we had planned, I have to ask you this too. Uh, so Miles Jack, friend of the show, was on here a couple of weeks ago, owner of the Allen Americans, and then he decided to go back to the NFL. What is going on? Well, my Pittsburgh fans would uh, friends would tell you that they just need the help on defense. You know, I mean, look, he's a young guy. I forget exactly. For you know, sure, maybe, maybe twenty eight. Uh, familiar with the team, familiar with the systems. Does it really matter from an ECHL perspective? No, I'm just imagining oh. him in the boardroom doing the accounting and all these things or riding the bus to Wichita, as he said he wants to do, and then getting a call from the Pittsburgh Steelers and being like, peace, I'm out. I'll be right back, guys. Maybe he saw how bad his team's home record was and he decided he needed to, to make a little <laughs> yeah. bit more bank to, to pay for it. That's um, awesome. <laughs> hey, a couple, couple other little Jersey things just because I, I had them down here. So I uh, had an off-ice official tell me that in the 1960s in Fort Wayne, uh, visiting team was there and somebody broke into the visiting locker room and stole all their uniforms. What? So that night they had to, for the entire game, wear Fort Wayne's other uniforms. Okay. So yeah, that game was literally Fort Wayne versus Fort Wayne. Now that's in the 1960s. Um, in 2016 in the ECHL, the Indy Fuel played the Evansville Icemen, which is now the Jacksonville Icemen. And that night was Garfield night because you probably don't know this, but Garfield is a big deal in in the Indianapolis area. Jim Davis is from them. Uh, So there's a lot of Indian Garfield stuff. So they did a Garfield night. It was Garfield jerseys versus Odie jerseys. Orange jerseys versus yellow jerseys. That didn't make it the entire game before they had to change. Yeah. So you can Google that one. We did a lot of reporting at the time, like how ridiculous that was. So there's another uh, ECHL jersey story I wanted to throw out at you. So we mentioned the Kansas City Mavericks that were in that game. They're our team of the week. So let's try to talk about them in a non-apparel way uh, for their jerseys (laughs) and about the team themselves, Justin. 
So, you know, apologies to the Mavericks, because if there was one team that I underrated coming mm-hmm. into this season, it was Kansas City. In hindsight, I'm not entirely sure why I did that, because they did make the playoffs last year. Um, but I was looking at their roster over the summer, and I was kind of like, eh. But they are off to a 12-2-0 record. That puts them atop the entire league. That includes obviously the mountain division, but that includes the Idaho Steelheads, who I feel right now are the best team in the league. Idaho is only 11-2-0. So Kansas City, uh, just some things to throw out at you. They have outscored their opponents 54-34. to On the road, they are 8-0. and uh, If you want to talk about some players, they have sort of cornered the market on the elite rookies in the ECHL right now. And the big one, excuse me, is Max Andreev. Uh, He has four goals and 17 points. So he leads the entire league, not just rookies, the entire league in scoring right now. Uh, He did not come over from Russia until he was 16 years old. He is Sergei Breland's nephew. Uh, For you older fans, Sergei Breland, great NHL player. Andreev played at Cornell, not the biggest guy, but man, has he got vision. Uh, I was queuing up some, uh, some of his games uh, just the other day and, you know, doing some nice things on the power play. It seemed like he was running the point, Um, you know, had a, had a nice shot from the uh, blue line that was redirected, had another play where it was a cross ice pass. So he's doing a lot of nice things. Kyle Jackson, uh, he's got six goals and 17 points. He's a rookie out of the OHL. He has a little bit more size. He was a Kraken draft pick in the seventh round in 2022. Should mention Kansas City is an affiliate of the Seattle Kraken and Coachella Valley. Um, Now, Jackson expected him to score. Uh, He had 31 goals last year for North Bay, so he has kind of seamlessly transitioned to the ECHL. Uh, another really nice rookie is Kate Borchardt. He has seven goals and 16 points. He had a, a cup of coffee with the Mavericks last year, looked really good in the playoffs, might have been their leading scorer. Uh, Cole Koski is another player who has stood out with nine goals and 16 points. Now, he's been a good player in the ECHL before, uh, you know, like a 20 goal scorer type of guy, but he has totally upped his play early in this season. And should mention in net, Kale Morris has been incredible. He is 5 1 0 with a 924 save percentage. Now, he has been a decent goalie in the past, played for Indy, played for Norfolk, has played a bunch in the AHL. But would I have expected a 924 save percentage? No. And he has helped Kansas City to the number one defensive ranking in the league. Uh, they are averaging 2.43 goals against. Uh, I should also mention that Andreev and Jackson are on Coachella Valley contracts uh, with Kansas City. Now, one last thing to mention with them, though, is they have had a somewhat favorable schedule. Uh, And what I mean is they have yet to play Idaho. So those teams will finally meet December 6th, 8th, and 9th in Kansas City. Those will be big games because, you know, they might be the top two teams in the league. But it's sort of interesting if you look at the different divisions. So in the Mountain Division, Kansas City has played a bunch against Wichita, Rapid City, and Allen, and Tulsa, but has not yet played Idaho. 
but then if you look at other divisions like the Central, I mean, Fort Wayne and Toledo have been beating up on one another. Uh, in the South Division, everybody's been playing everybody. So a bit of a favorable schedule so far for Kansas City, but Tad O'Had, the coach there, has them off to a great start. Awesome. Good stuff. Let's just bleed into the prospect of the week while we're at it. And this is a staple of our analysis here over two seasons of the show. Cam Johnson, goaltender of the Florida Everblades. Yeah, I looked back and actually I think we only made him prospect of the week uh, once last season. And I didn't want to go to this well too early for the two-time defending champs, two-time defending playoff MVP. But here's why I picked him. Florida was off to kind of a murky start. They were 3-5-0. and oh. Now, I was certainly not worried about them because this is a team that is very much, um, you know, pardon the cliche, but how we finish, not how we're starting, much like last year. Um, they've had to fill some, some, replace some players from last year, but it's a very experienced team, and I knew the defense was going to take a little bit of time to kind of find its footing. But the Everblades have won the last four games, and that coincides with Cam Johnson really taking over the goaltending post. He had been splitting time with Evan Cormier. So over the last four, Florida won at Greenville 5-4, to four, at Orlando 4-1, to one, and then beat Atlanta at home 6-2 to two and 3-1. to one. Let me tell you what Cam Johnson's numbers were. He stopped 30 of 34 shots, then 34 of 35 then 23 of 25, then 26 of 27 shots. So he has really helped usher in this early resurgence, if you will. Uh, Johnson is on an AHL contract with um, Charlotte, uh, as is Evan Cormier. uh, But they are going to need Johnson and Cormier, really, to play well this season. Because like I said, the one question mark, I think, was about the defensive corps. There were a lot of changes there. They're going to need to solidify and that South Division is going to be an absolute gauntlet this year. Like we knew Jacksonville and South Carolina were going to be good, but I don't think that we expected Atlanta to be one of the best teams in the league, and so far they have been. So I need good goaltending down there. Honestly, all Cam Johnson needs to do is play decent in the regular season and then come to the playoffs because the last two years, in 40 playoff games, he's combined for a 926 save percentage. That is an unbelievable amount of stability in the postseason. So he's just a playoff time player. But the one thing I will say is, you know, you can't snooze in that division. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, for sure. I I have full faith they're going to make the playoffs. But remember, last year, they were the fourth seed. And if you look at Greenville, I'm sorry, I should have even said Greenville. I mean, Greenville is up to an 11-2-0 start. So, I mean, really, maybe with the exception of Savannah, there is really not a a bad team in there. And even Savannah is 4-6-3 so far. So, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. They just got to get in, and that's true, but they got to get in. <laughs> no, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Um, so neck guards. Some teams yeah. have made it a priority. I know wheeling, there's a there's a mandate there. Other teams, professional sports have made it mandatory. Others haven't. What have you seen generally over the last month with the neck guards being implemented? 
Well, I can tell you specifically like what happened in Fort Wayne, and I think it's it's probably fairly equivalent to most teams, which is they recognized as soon as Adam Johnson died, and there was immediately talk about more neck protection that, hey, we better order a bunch of these things uh, in case the players start wanting them. And there was a, an immediate shortage on neck guards. So that's what Fort Wayne did. They went out and bought a bunch. It took two weeks for them to arrive. As soon as they did, I saw seven players, excuse me, six players wearing them that first night. Now that number is up to more like nine. Um, you know, most of these guys, it's not totally unfamiliar to them. They wore it in, in minor hockey. They might have worn it in college. Um, so the guys I've talked to, they're like, you know, I'm used to it. And even if you're not, you know, it, it makes you a little bit hotter because most of the guys are wearing what's a it's basically a turtleneck with kevlar in it so you feel a little bit warmer because you're used to not having anything there but after one game you're like what's the big deal so you know for instance uh the last game they played a a player named jack gorniak who played at wisconsin he hadn't worn one uh in the pros he was watching a bunch of his teammates put it on he said what the heck i'll give it a go goes out scores a shorthanded goal as an assist, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll probably keep wearing it. So I think that's typically what I'm seeing. Now, we don't need to go down the rabbit hole of all the different rules, but, you know, in the ECHL, you know, it's not mandatory to make it so we take uh, collective bargaining that with the Players Association. Like you said, Wheeling's directive, which kind of comes from up high with the Penguins. Uh, we want, you know, all the guys wearing them if possible. And, you know, I just did a story on local hockey here and, um, you know, the, the local association that governs youth hockey, high school hockey, um, you know, they have made it mandatory starting in January. And then every just about everything else falls under USA hockey. Right now, USA hockey, it's a recommendation, but the belief is that in January they're going to require it. So that would change the game for adult hockey and whatnot here. Uh, but from an ECHL perspective, you know, when I'm at these games, I typically see at least six players per team now wearing neck guards. Um, it has kind of renewed the conversation. And one, when I talk to players, a lot of them are, are almost, if not equally, more concerned, not so much about neck injuries, but it's renewed the conversation about wrists and legs and things like that. And a player reminded me it was not that long ago. A player named Mike Leambus was playing in Fort Wayne for Bloomington. And there was a big pile up in the corner and, you know, some rough stuff going on. And all of a sudden, Leambus is screaming because somebody stepped on his arm and basically severed multiple tendons, um, you know, in his arm. I don't know if he played again that season. Uh, I looked up the reporting. I know he was going to be out at least two months. He did come back the next season, but that was a real scary moment. And I talked to a player who was in that. He's like, I just heard the guy screaming. I didn't know if he was going to live, you know, and that was an arm and that was a while ago. So, you know, I think it's renewed the conversation on a lot of different safety issues. And there are different things you can get socks and arm guards and what I think it's renewed the conversation about the fact that there's blades on the edge of our feet in this sport. Yeah, really. like that's yeah, really and- where I think it's it's kind of gone. You know, you, you have the 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 standard hockey protection is protecting you from a puck or contact, but these skates, which are sharpened more frequently than your their average shinny skates, 
if they get you in the wrong spot, it could be fatal. I think that's where the conversation's really happening. Yeah, and, and players are skating faster, you know, in general than ever before. You know, it used to be, you know, I can remember a time 20, 20 years ago where there'd be like, you know, two guys from each team on the ice who were just blazing fast. And now it seems like, you know, there's 10 from each team. So overall, the game has just gotten faster. And you just, you see some things, you know, a photographer sent me a photo uh, from a game last week. He's like, this is why we need this. And it was just, you know, it was a nothing play. A guy fell. There was a bit of a, bit of a pile up in the corner, but you could see it from this photo. This guy's skate is just going straight past the guy's nose because he oh. had fallen down and the skate is just going past his nose. Now, nothing happened, but makes it was think. like, yeah, it was just one moment that makes you think. And, you know, I can remember when I played and, I, you know, I was not very good, of course, but I played with a full cage for a little while and then it was very uncomfortable. So I just went to a visor. And when I made that move, I was thinking, man, you know, it's it's a, it is a little bit scarier, like it's liberating. But it was like, I can't skate for crap. I mean, I'm gonna, I could fall, you know, like it, it's scary at all levels. And, you know, if my kid played, I would be putting them in all sorts of protection. But, you know, in my per, I have my own personal feelings about whether this is a, a kind of a bit of an overreaction. I mean, me personally, I find it a bit of an overreaction for a play that I, I don't want to say one in a million, but I've never seen the play like what happened to Adam Johnson before. Never seen that before. So I'm not sure if we need to be full on mandating neck protection in every league. That's just me, but I totally get it. And I totally agree with the recommendations of it. Uh, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get to coast to coast. And I take it you have some reader questions as well. Yeah, we didn't get to all of our reader questions last week. And I wanted to throw a couple out there. And then I want to mention something that I thought was kind of funny. But, um, you know, one person said, I don't envy the ECHL schedulers. There are certain rivalries that we know should be taken into consideration when putting the season together. But is there anything else besides geography and building availability that drives the schedule? I'm going to take a little bit of umbrage with that. I'm not convinced that the ECHL actually takes into consideration rivalries when they're putting it together. I think some of that is happenstance. Fort Wayne and Toledo, that's a huge rivalry, but they're in the same division. Right. Okay. You know, uh, Orlando and Florida, you know, same division. But what they don't tend to account for, for me, are cross-divisional rivalries. You know, like I'll bring up Allen-Fort Wayne just because it's close to home. Like, whenever they play, something real exciting happens, whether it's brawls, whether it's comebacks, whether it's goals. And I'm like, put them on the schedule. Like, Allen's got to travel somewhere, send them to the Midwest, and they could play in Fort Wayne. They can hop over to Toledo. You could play in, in Kalamazoo. So... I'm not sure how much they actually, when they sit there and put it together, they, they consider the rivalries. Now, the teams themselves, and this is where the scheduling begins, like you put in available dates and you can communicate with those teams and try to work it out. So like Fort Wayne's never going to come out and not be playing Toledo. Like, right. But there are weird things that go on. Wheeling played at Kalamazoo, I believe it was the first week of the season. They do not go back there again. Uh, Wheeling was in Fort Wayne last weekend. We don't see them again until March. These are teams within the same division within six hours. Like how on earth does that happen? Like how did anybody come up with that idea? So, you know, we were just talking about, you know, Kansas City, 
Idaho. How have they not? They're not playing till December. So what else goes into it? The big thing is building availability. I mean, you have to have a certain number of dates that you hand over to the league and you say, we can play here. We can't play there. You know, you can look at Toledo's schedule. They tend to have a backloaded schedule. They don't play at home very often early in the season because they're not handing in those dates. So that is really the big thing that is taken into consideration. There are certain holidays, certain teams play on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Others play on Thanksgiving, New Year's Eve. Um, so we got to take that into consideration. But I don't know. I mean, I, we all sit there in the league circles and look at the schedule and try to figure out how some of these things were arrived at. And I've never come up with a great answer. I don't know what but I don't the know number what the one priority, to. though, would be availability. Building availability. Yes. So that would kind of trump all of them because of if there are situations that are tricky in certain markets, like that would kind of play the table as to how it's going to go. And maybe that well, would. Well, and the other thing is building availability and getting as many games as possible on weekends. So right. that's yeah. the big difference to me compared to the AHL, for instance, is the AHL is more willing to play weekday games. The ECHL is like, look, we, we don't care if our guys got to play three games in three nights, four games in five nights. You know, four games in 86 hours like Fort Wayne had to do last week because they had a morning game. We don't care. We want weekend dates because we yeah. don't think people are going to come on a Tuesday night like they will on a Sunday night. I don't always agree with it, and I don't think it's conducive to the best quality hockey, but the owners, that's what they want. They want the gates. So that and building availability will often trump convenience. So... Sorry, I know I keep bringing up Fort Wayne, but Kalamazoo, Toledo, and Indianapolis are all within two hours of me. And sometimes you see a team come play in Fort Wayne and then bypass all those teams to go play, um, you know, Wheeling or maybe they go to the Northeast. And it never makes sense to me because I'm like, well, you're right here. Just play two games here or go up to Kalamazoo. But usually what trumps it is building availability. Makes sense. Other question. Could you explain the rules of going to video review? Uh, he was referencing a play that happened a couple of weeks ago. We don't need to get into that. But what he was asking about was there was, well, there was actually two plays. One was very strange. There was an offside, which led to a game winning goal. It was pretty clearly offside, but they did not review it. It did not stay. I mean, it did stay because they did not review it. Um, that is not a reviewable play in the ECHL. They do not have the technology to have that in every arena. So they are limiting reviews to goals. They will look at whether the puck went in and goaltender interference. That is essentially the two things that are mostly looking at. Um, I, again, personally don't agree with this. I think if you've got the technology in one building to review other things that you should go ahead and do it. But the philosophy is we want consistency in every single arena. And until we have more technology we're going to limit it to that now the other play that i know this person is referencing was there was a long discussion about whether there was a goal or whether there was goaltender interference and after this incredibly long discussion then they finally decided to review the play and i like everybody else in the building was like why didn't they just review it immediately and this particular play i think they weren't sure whether it was reviewable and in my opinion, what happened was the off-ice official who was in the press box made it clear to them, you can review that play, and then they did review it. So 
you know, you could go back to last year when Joe Ertz was on the program and said, you know, we usually don't call down. That was my recollection. We usually don't call down and, and influence this at all. But I have definitely seen instances where the off-ice official tells, or excuse me, the supervisor official tells the off-ice official, hey, let them know. We can review that. Because I just saw it happen two weeks ago. So hopefully that answers the question. But the big thing to remember is the only plays that are reviewable are at the goal crease. Anything else, even if you see it in the NHL, you can't do it in the ECHL. Uh, A couple other uh, things I wanted to note for Coast to Coast. Last episode, we talked a bunch about embellishment penalties. Yeah. Because there was the weird play where it was a trip and an embellishment. I saw two embellishment penalties called... Uh, I think it was in the same game last weekend. I couldn't believe it. You tweeted one of them, I think, right? Yes. One was a trip embellishment. It was so ludicrous that they called embellishment on this because of the player, they were both skating towards the boards and one player like just grabbed him by the chest and just like basically threw him down. <laughs> I mean, I don't see how that was embellishment. But later on, there was another one. I, I, don't, I, I don't remember seeing this. It was a roughing and an embellishment. So... I don't, I still don't see the embellishment. There was a big, uh, you know, there was kind of a scrap, you know, like there was two teams, melee, whatever you want to call it. And they came out with an embellishment on that. But I just thought it was funny because we were just talking about it. I know some people have never seen it before. Other people scratched their heads on it. I don't know. To me, if you're going to call embellishment, you better be awfully sure that the guy was embellishing it especially if it's on a clear tripping call like that. But again, if it's a trip, I could hear the broadcaster behind me say, I don't understand this. If you're tripped, you're tripped. Like <laughs> what does yeah, embellishment have to do with anything? I agree. I think that's how most people feel. I uh, want to mention the ECHL all-star game format, excuse me, all-star classic. It will be in Nor- uh, Savannah, Georgia. Uh, and of course I neglected to bring that. Oh, here it is. It is on January 15th in Savannah, Georgia, at the End Market Arena, home of your Ghost Pirates. Uh, but I wanted to mention the format because the format is not always the same year to year. They are going to have the Savannah Ghost Pirates take on a team of ECHL All-Stars. And I want to ask your opinion on that in a second. And in addition to that... They will have the skills competitions during the intermission. Every person who wins a skills competition will earn a goal for their team, and that will be added up into a cumulative all-star score. Uh, What do you think, I don't know if you have experience with this, of a home team playing ECHL all-stars? Do you like that? Not really. I think it's kind of a, it takes away from the purpose, which is to have the best people okay i understand it from a marketing standpoint and from getting the people involved in the local community that's hosting it but yeah i don't love it i don't know i don't see a point of it i i i totally agree with you i mean you're right that's why they do it let's get more people to go to the game and but you are automatically stripping there for what another 18 players in the league who could be getting an all-star honor. Yeah. Um, I don't like that. I like even less the cumulative score with the skills competition. I guess I understand you want to reward them, but I guess who cares? Like if you win the hardest shot competition, you know, that's your, 
your bonus. And one other thing I forgot to mention with this format of the All-Star Game. <laughs> the first two periods will be five on five. And the third period will be three on three. Why don't you just do it all three on three? If you're going to do that, just make it all oh three on three. God, that would take so long. Or would, would it be faster? The game. I feel like that would take forever because there'd be so many more goals. But maybe you're right. Uh, I think they did okay, three on like, three. Okay, sorry. Now we're talking about an all-star game and we're like, oh, it'll be too many goals. Oh, I mean, I hate I hate all-star games. I think yeah. they might. Now that I think about it, I think they did do three on three one year in... Uh, Oh, yeah, it was in Toledo, and they did four teams playing three-on-three three with some sort of rally scoring, which I could never figure out. Um, I mean, look, long-time listeners of the show know I don't love the All-Star Classic because they don't pick true All-Stars. What they yeah. do is they pick prospects, and I've always felt, okay, if you're going to do that, then let's find a whole different way to do this. Um, but my biggest concern is... What if the home team isn't very good? And that almost always seems to happen. Like, it's one thing if you have, like, we used the to best do team the league. Okay. Sure. We used to do that. Some leagues would do that. They would do like the defending champs versus all stars. Now, that defending champs was not the same team because of turnover, but at least you could, you could like make a case for it. But now, like, Savannah, they're the last place team in their division and yeah. they're going to play all stars. And I'm not saying it won't be a good game because you know, those teams, they have the familiarity and they usually do fine, but the optics are always like, who wants to watch a bad team play a sort of all. Yeah, I don't get it. But it's odd to me. Yeah. I don't love it, but I, I'm just glad it's not in four way. And let's put it that way. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> Any more questions for me, my friend? Uh, no, that's all I got for, uh, for coast to coast this week. Awesome. Well, that caps off today's show. Thank you to everyone for listening, and we will catch you next week. Take care, guys.